I've spent the last two years learning from the best social media entrepreneurs out there and implementing the skills and ideas they have taught me in order to grow two successful social media businesses. After some time though, I realized that social media was only part of the story. As I expanded my network, I kept finding young entrepreneurs with multi-million or even billion dollar businesses that weren't doing anything on social media. Instead of building their personal brand and selling courses, these entrepreneurs were solving massive market needs by creating the next Airbnb or Uber. But the real question is, as a young entrepreneur, which of these options is best for us? Social media influencer or startup founder? That's where this podcast comes in. With a mix of interviews with people from both sides of the aisle, you can see what appeals to you and how you can take the steps to start and grow your business immediately. Join me and follow along as I sit down with some of the top social media influencers and startup founders in the world to ask the most important questions and extract the information you need without the fluff you don't. My name is Apple Kreider and welcome to Young Smart Money. Welcome back to the show. I hope you guys are excited to be here as I am right now. So today, sitting down with someone who uh, is doing some some pretty some pretty interesting stuff in the world of digital nomads. I know a lot of uh, a lot of you listeners are interested in sort of being your own boss, traveling around the world, that laptop lifestyle. Uh, so Liam is going to share with us his experience doing that. And uh, again, he's not one of these guys that that is selling a course. He's not someone who's going to teach you how to make a million dollars a day drop shipping. Um, he's somebody who who's got uh, again more on the, the software uh, business that he has really uh, gotten off the ground very quickly, both uh, with Time Doctor and then with Staff.com. So we're going to talk a bit about those two businesses, but but the primary focus of the interview is going to be on Running Remote, which is this conference that Liam started uh, in 2017, so it's been going for a little over two years now. And through this conference, it's actually the largest uh, conference on building and scaling remote teams, so Liam is super knowledgeable in the world of uh, working remotely, and he's going to share some some strategies, some advice for for young people, especially on how you can begin to take advantage of these remote work opportunities, how you can uh, move to Bali, how you can get some consistent income coming in that can allow you to yeah make these trips to Bali, Colombia, and then exactly how to structure your time there to uh, to do it most effectively, to do it um, on the cheap but still live in large. And he's also going to share some strategies that that really shook up a lot of things for me. So I've got I've got a couple side projects that I'm working on right now, one of which you're going to hear uh, about 20 or so minutes into the interview. Um, I have a bit of a realization about one of the things that I'm working on. So uh, it might not be as valuable for you guys, but but Liam dropped some really, really valuable nuggets that if they're coming to you at the right time, in the right place, at the right stage, um, could really, really bring a lot of insight and a lot of clarity to what you're working on. So yeah, again, whether you are working remotely already or it's just something that's sort of on the back burner, this is going to be a really valuable use of your time because you're going to learn a lot more about what it actually takes and what working remotely actually looks like. And um, again, how to create that consistent incomes that you can then go on to do some some digital nomad stuff, travel around a bit, um, and not have to be worried about um, paying for your cost of living. So without further ado, I'm super stoked for this episode. Liam is doing some really cool stuff um, across all three of his businesses right now that we're going to be talking about. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to let him take it away. All right, Liam, welcome to Young Smart Money. How are you doing today? 
I'm doing, I'm probably about doing a six out of 10 right now, but I'm hopefully going to ratchet it up to about a 9.5 out of 10. That's fair. That's what young smart money is, is for. It's for getting you back up to, to those higher numbers. So Liam, for our listeners, they got to hear a little bit about you in the intro, but for those of them that aren't familiar with who you are and uh, what running remote is, give us a quick like elevator pitch on like where you're at right now and what you're doing. Sure. So running remote is basically, the largest conference on building and scaling remote teams. We're the largest conference in remote work. We started it in Bali. I run a tech company called Time Doctor and Staff.com, which is time tracking for remote teams. And we really had this big problem, which was how do you actually build what we call a remote first company? So there's all these companies that are kind of in offices and We've always seen that as pretty boring. We travel the world. I personally travel about three to six months out of the year. My co-founder traveled nonstop for five years. He never spent more than two months in a place for five years of our business relationship together. So we feel like this is a much more uh, exciting way to be able to build a business and a lot more fun way to build a business. So we said there must be more people like that out there. And there were, but it wasn't, unfortunately, it was just, they were all disjointed. So we said, well, let's create a conversation space for everyone to be able to get to one place at one time uh, to be able to talk about building and scaling remote businesses. So we did that. Uh, we ran the first one in Bali, went pretty well. We've actually run some other ones in Bali as well. And for the first year ever, we are moving to the United States. So we're going to have it in Austin, Texas next year for end of April. Sick. Well, there's a lot of stuff there that I'm excited to dive into uh, that sure. I think is going to bring a lot of value to the listeners. But but the first thing that I'm curious about is kind of just more of a personal question. Have you always been uh, into travel? Like, like, when did you start figuring out that like travel was something that you like enjoyed doing? So I think that travel is one of those things that uh, it's it's like education. So no one can take it away from you. So the moment that you've been to a different place, you become a more interesting person. You get more layers to you. Uh, I know one of the first times I started really spending a lot of time in Southeast Asia, that was when I really understood that in the West, we have this certain way of working and certain way of living. And yes, we have bad situations in the West, but in reality, actually, it's just literally the tip of the iceberg. There are a lot of people that are a lot worse off than us. And traveling has made me so thankful to be able to know that I was born where I was born. I had the background that I had to be able to achieve what I really want to do with my life. So uh, I think that travel just makes you a much more multifaceted person. And once I started doing, doing it, I really wanted more. And it just kind of rolled into this um, kind of work philosophy that you should be able to work wherever you want, whenever you want. That's actually our mission statement as a company is we want to be able to have everyone to be able to have that type of opportunity. I dig it. So when then did you first get introduced to like the world of, of entrepreneurship and working for yourself and, and, and being able to tie these two things together? So I actually have always been an entrepreneur and uh, I kind of had like a coming out of the closet problem where okay. I was very much a, um, and I think if you're listening to this right now or you're watching this right now, you probably know you're an entrepreneur. And if you don't know, then you're probably not if that makes sense. So mm -hmm. I worked for, I worked a lot of different jobs. I've been fired or quit from almost every, well, every single one of them actually within about three months. So I think the longest I ever made it was about three months working for somebody else because 
I always want to run things my own way. Um, so I think that you either get controlled by another system or you build your own system. And for me, I want to build my own system. I want to be in charge of what I'm doing. Uh, I don't work well with others, unfortunately. It's not necessary. I mean, some people would consider that um, I'm kind of an ass. But to be honest with you, you just have to know yourself. And that's who I am as a person. So I'm realizing this wasn't even kind of a choice for me. This was the only way that I could eat is to make sure that I'm doing my own thing because when I'm working for somebody else, they'd fire me within three months. Hmm. So, so on the show, I like to have people from both sides of the aisle, the aisle being sort of like the social media, like guru influencer type people. And then like the, the SaaS software startup type company founders. Um, so you definitely fall more in the latter category. I'm curious when you were first getting started, uh, what sort of drew you to the world of software? Do you have a, a background in, in programming or? or Zero. Okay. <laughs> uh, so again, when we talk about tech entrepreneurship, there is, there's tech entrepreneurs and then there's entrepreneurs. I would consider myself an entrepreneur. So the business that I was building before that was a tutoring company. The hmm. business before that was a sporting goods company. So uh, I just realized that tech has one of the biggest advantages in terms of leverage for number one, making a lot of money, but then number two, being able to do what I wanted to do with my time. And this is something that not many people really recognize is um, you can build a really big business. So you can build like a hundred million dollar business. I'm right across the street from Shopify as an example right now. And that's a multi-billion dollar business, fantastic business to run. But I know that Toby, and he's very passionate about what he's doing, but you know, he's working 15, 16 hours a day, every single day. I work eight. I like what I'm doing and I travel the world while I'm doing it. So that really is the differentiator. Do you want to run a, and I'm, I'm very happy. I'll never, I, I don't have to work another day in my life if I really want to at this point. Um, life is quite good, but it's not quite the Shopify type of trajectory. So you really have to also know who you are. Do you want to build a business that maybe some people would call it a lifestyle business, um, but for me, it's just, I kind of define it as a business that is more focused on everyone being happy, the owners and the employees included, rather than growth at all costs. Hmm. I dig that, I dig that. So, what when you basically pivoted from like the sporting goods company, the tutoring company into uh, staff.com was, was the first venture, correct? After mm -hmm. those, okay. Yep. What did what did that process look like uh, once you decided that you wanted to have this sort of like lifestyle company, quote unquote? Uh, what what sort of drew you to this area? So it didn't start there. Uh, so I was still hustling for cash with Time Doctor and Staff.com. It was a software company and I was trying to make money. But then something really interesting happened <laughs> once I made enough money, uh, which was, I don't know why I'm still doing this because I've made enough. And a lot of, some people don't have a number. I had a number. Uh, I actually remember I wrote it down like 15 years ago. And then a couple of years ago, I was like, oh man, I hit that number. Okay, well, is, am I any happier? Not really. Uh, I thought it was gonna be, I thought it was gonna be great. It wasn't great. Uh, I remember I actually sold my, my first business, which was the tutoring company. And I 
I bought a very expensive couch. I bought a 75 inch flat screen TV and I watched, uh, I watched television for two weeks. And then I started Time Doctor right after that. <laughs> uh, so it was one of those things that you kind of, you realizing what really drives you in life may not necessarily be monetary. And so once we realized that that wasn't the goal, then we focused on another goal, which was the mission statement of the company, which is empowering people to be able to work remotely. We find that that is really our goal. And we try to orient everything inside of our business towards that goal. And ironically, we end up making a lot more money once we stop thinking about the money. Once we start thinking about how can we put value into the market as opposed to extract value out of the market. Hmm. What was, what was the first iteration of Time Doctor? What did that look like when you first had that idea in your head? Crappy. <laughs> it, was a, it was a time tracking tool that, you know, uh, was fundamentally solving a core problem that I had actually inside of my tutoring company, which was we could not quantitatively define how long a tutor was working with a student. So a student would come to me and say, hey, you billed me for 10 hours, when in reality, I only worked with the tutor for five. I'd go to the tutor and say, hey, did you work with the student for 10 hours? He'd say, of course. I'd end up having to refund the student for five hours and pay the tutor for the full 10 hours. This was destroying the business. So fundamentally, Time Doctor was scratching my own itch, which was how do you actually scale this business to the next level when you're looking at large scale remote teams. And this is a major problem that most people have inside of remote companies is what are those people doing? How are they quantifying their hours? And Time Doctor perfectly solves that problem. So the first iteration was okay. Um, you know, we've added payroll, we've, we've added machine learning, artificial intelligence to what we're doing. Now it's really more like a Fitbit for work so that you can actually see, well, how am I putting together my workday? How efficient is my workday? And what changes can I make in comparison to people that perform at a higher level than me to be able to know what I should be doing uh, with my time? So that's been a big jump forward for us. But you know, during this process, it's, it's literally iterative. So you always have to be reimagined because tech moves very, very quickly. Uh, within 24 months, probably our product is going to be very different from the product that it is today. Sure. So uh, I'm curious as well how you've been able to run now staff.com, Time Doctor, and running remote. Um, obviously, you have a significant team at this point. But what does what does your process of really like establishing like which of these areas is getting your your attention your focus go because I see a lot of young people bouncing around between so many different things and not giving them the time to grow where you've been able to uh, grow in, in multiple different areas obviously not all at the same time but talk to the listener about that so I think a lot of people don't really understand the grind and you have to just deploy your time in a very methodological way and you have to then almost kind of shut shut yourself down and say uh, I'm going to not even think about doing anything different for a year so I'm going to work on this particular project and I'm gonna work for 20 hours a week on it and I'm going to then just do a reassessment in one year from now and that's usually the way that I look at new projects so with running remote as an example it was a 
uh, ready, fire aim type of philosophy. So we just bought a venue and we realized that if we had not purchased or rented the venue instantly right then and there, we wouldn't have actually taken action. So once I had put 100K down on renting a venue, then all the other pieces started to assemble. So I started putting team members in different places, starting to assemble that team, figuring out who was really excited about working with this project, and then having them execute on it. And another part that is just really important to understand is the art of delegation. So being able to know not just what type of work you need to do, but which people inside of your organization can actually execute on that work. That's so important and not many people really understand the differences uh, between just assigning a task versus properly delegating it. I've had so many instances where, at least earlier on in my career, where I've said, well, why don't you just do it? And because I was thinking self-referentially, uh, I was thinking, well, I could have done this. Well, yeah, I could do it, but maybe you can't. And therefore, we need to be able to find someone that can do it even better than I can. Um, this is the thing that also not many people recognize is as the CEO of the company or the founder of the company, you always think that you're the best person for the job, when in reality, you're actually not. In the vast majority of cases, you're not the best person for the job. And you need to be able to understand that, put your ego aside, and understand who's the best person to accomplish this particular task. Um, and it's the vast majority of the time, not you. What are some what are some good ways to uh, establish or, or really find people who are better than yourself to to take on certain tasks if you don't have that team built already? So this is a very um, a lot of people get very uncomfortable about this because yeah. they will find someone and this is something that's unique to a founder, someone who basically owns the equity inside of a business. It's um, they can do it in a bit of an easier way people that work inside of an organization, it's almost impossible for them. How can you hire someone that would replace you? Because if you're inside of a company and you hire someone that could replace you, well, then you're kind of out of the job. And that's usually not a very successful model for you to stay, to stay hired. But A players, people that are really, really good at their job, they actually end up hiring these types of people because they recognize that it's not just about actually um, keeping their job because they know they can get a job anywhere else. And if you're watching right now and you are that type of person, you've got no problems. If you're the person who says like, oh, I really wouldn't hire that person, you need to look inside yourself and say to yourself, oh, well, maybe I need to work on myself a little bit better, get better at what I'm doing um, to become one of those eight players. But fundamentally, it is just putting myself, I have, I have an org chart. So what I usually do is I don't ask someone who's running a business who is in the company. I ask for their organizational chart. So which jobs are being done? And you might be doing 12 of them. So you might be the CFO, the CEO, the CMO, the CRO. Uh, you know, you might be doing all of these different jobs. But that's okay. You need to put yourself into all of those boxes. And then as the founder we're going to very slowly every quarter as you need cash, replace, put a human being in each one of those boxes. And over two to three years, you'll be able to do, maybe you don't even want to be the CEO. Maybe you replace the CEO. Maybe you're the, just the person that owns the equity and the business runs itself. 
it's totally up to you. But um, you basically figure out what am I the best at? What can I do that's unique to this business? And then delegate everything else. Hmm. I want to bounce back to something you said about uh, really like focusing in on, on one thing for a year before you even like think about, about doing anything else. Have you had any experiences where doing that has resulted in, uh, I don't want to say failure because obviously you, you experience failure along the way, um, but where you get to the end of that year and you feel like the time was wasted? Yes. Uh, I mean, many examples, but I'll give you the one that's probably the most salient. Uh, Staff.com was originally a two-sided marketplace. So it was a two-sided marketplace for remote workers. And within the first year, we went from zero to 86,000 MRR, which is monthly recurring revenue, which is how SaaS is kind of calculated. Um, so we were making about $86,000 a month in revenue, which was great. That's a very successful growth trajectory for a your average tech company. By year two, we were making $111,000 in MRR. So we had run that first year of assessment, recognized that it was doing really great, and that was all bootstrapped as well. It was no outside cash. And then the second year, we said to ourselves, what the hell happened? And we realized that it was due to secret churn. So basically what people were doing was they were pulling people off of the platform, people that were working for us and working for the client, and we would take a percentage of the salary, so they would just do their own deal privately, uh, much like a lot of these other two-sided market work marketplaces work. So we realized that was actually a major critical error, and we should have been paying attention to that earlier, but because we were just focused on the grind, uh, we didn't kind of peek out. So there are definitely, I mean, those are definitely some negative components towards just focusing. But on average, uh, to me, I believe that even if you're doing the wrong things, but you're doing something, it's better than doing nothing. So a lot of people get frozen and they think to themselves, what am I going to do next? Am I going to get, uh, am I going to set up a C Corp or an LLC? How does my, should I get my trademark done? No, none of those things. You should just go and make some money and just move in the direction of money. And then all of those problems are what I call problems of success. So what, should I structure in a C-Corp or an LLC? Man, I'm making $200 million a year. How, you know, th that's a problem of success, right? That's like a big tax bill that you're going to have to pay, but, in, but time is your most important resource. So you need to be able to deploy that as quickly as possible. Totally, totally agree. Quick tangent, what did you do about that, that issue of people going off the marketplace? Uh, so we interviewed people and we interviewed both employers and employees and we said, well, why are you quitting? And they would just lie to our faces. Uh, so we call that secret churn. So churn is the amount of customers that leave you on a monthly, quarterly or yearly basis. And uh, we realized that uh, they just weren't telling us the truth. So we set up some interesting experiments where when someone would quit, the platform, we would immediately offer them a job that was 50% higher in salary than the previous job that they had. So we'd offer them a much more expensive job, or we'd instantly offer them another job, like let's 10, 20% higher as an example. And we found that they weren't taking those positions and they wouldn't really tell us why they weren't taking those positions. So we realized that it was just because they were secretly running off and doing the deal. And we had a couple people that 
when um, we had an, an old HR director that was working for a large client of ours that had hired, you know, 30, 40 people off of us. And after he quit, he came back and he was like, oh, well, yeah, well, we just poached everybody after three months. And well, they just didn't tell me that because they couldn't tell me that because we had everyone had signed contracts saying they can't do that. Um, so that's the reality. You know, sometimes you get burned and you just got to know, hey, you know what? This is not the business model for me. I've got to figure out another model that works better. Hmm. What did you guys, what did you guys end up shifting to? So we, in essence, got out. And we went into the software infrastructure. So basically, if you go onto a lot of these two-sided marketplaces, Upwork, uh, Fiverr to a degree, uh, Freelancer, they all have some type of time tracking inside of them. But the, little, the dirty little secret that they don't want to tell you is that a lot of those companies or a lot of those clients um, have auto clickers. So they're literally tools that will make you look like you're working when in reality you're not doing any work at all. So it's just like it's spoofing screenshots or spoofing the amount of time that was worked. So Time Doctor actually totally solved that problem because we look a lot deeper into what you're doing with your time and we're just selling it to you for $10 per, per employee per month as opposed to taking 20% of an employee's salary. So we're literally approaching it from a software perspective as opposed to a marketplace perspective. So we're not finding you the people. We're literally just providing you the infrastructure once you find somebody. I dig it. I dig it. That's super, that's super interesting. I'm doing a kind of a similar uh, project right now as to that initial like two-sided marketplace that you're talking about. So mm -hmm. hearing about that experience definitely rings true on some levels of just like experiences that I've had already. So I just I think wanted... one of the biggest... Um, learnings that I had from a two-sided marketplace, our two-sided marketplace experience is if you don't need the person more than once, if you need the task more than the person, it will work. So if I were to call an Uber right now, I don't care who's driving that Uber. I just get in the car and it's an Uber. But if I'm looking for Apple every single time to drive me where I need to go, eventually I'm going to do a deal with Apple and just be like, hey, dude, why don't you work with me directly? Let's cut out Uber. Let's just, you know, you drive me where I need to go. So you need to be able to have the task be more important than the individual. That's super valuable. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to do some soul searching after this episode because I got some, I got some stuff to think about now. <laughs> well, thank you for that. Um, yeah. So let's dive back into, into the world of, of remote work. So for a, a listener who say they're about to graduate college and they are not particularly jazzed about the idea of sitting in, in a cubicle for 40, 50 hours a week after they yeah. graduate, what are some good first steps they can be taking if they have no experience doing any kind of project of their own um, that would put them in a good place to, to potentially do some kind of digital nomad work? Yeah. So, I mean, first off, that's a hard slog. You're right out of university. You're probably in debt. You don't have any experience. Like, I'm not going to lie. It's, it's going to be difficult. And it's more difficult now than it's been at any other time in human history for that type of person. And for two reasons. Uh, number one, we've got an education system that really is kind of broken. Um, I pursued my PhD. I went through all of, you know, I took the full university package. And I would tell young people today, 
to not go to university if they don't really need to. Uh, I don't think that it is a good return on investment. You could spend four to five years working for an intern for me and probably be much farther ahead than taking a business degree where you're honestly not going to learn anything. You're going to have more fun in university, but it's just like, it's not going to, it's not going to get you what you need to do moving forward. Now, with that said, you have a Western passport, you have an American passport, you can travel the world. What I would suggest that you do is if you're fine with making less, what you can do is start doing some type of contract work. And even on these two-sided marketplaces, you can find really interesting work where you can make like two to three grand a month. So what I would suggest that you do is you stay at home, uh, you make, you start working on these two-sided marketplaces, you get up to two to three thousand dollars a month in reliable revenue, then you can start traveling. Um, and so I would suggest Medellin in Colombia, that's a really good introductory to remote work or to being a digital nomad. It's one of the most beautiful places in South America. That's where uh, Pablo Escobar got shot, you know, like the, it, but it's, it's not that place anymore. Okay, Actually, okay. all of the drug dealers, uh, all they left were amazing villas and fantastic internet. So okay. it's very cheap to be able to get, I think I, I saw a, um, eight bedroom villa with an indoor pool for $3,000 a month. Wow. Wow. Like <laughs> drug dealer level villas that yeah. you get for almost nothing. Yeah. So it's really easy to go down there. And then the other promised land that everyone talks about is uh, Chiang Mai in Thailand. That's another major hub for digital nomads. And then Chenggu in Bali. Uh, so it really depends on what you want to do. Uh, there's also, you know, Barcelona and Spain, all these other types of areas that you can go to that are really hubs for digital nomads. But the critical thing is make the money first. Don't just go because that's not going to work. Uh, you need to be able to build that confidence to be able to work remotely and understand how remote work works. Uh, every time I do a meetup in a different city, particularly in one of these digital nomad hubs, there'll always be a couple guys that'll show up saying, hey, I just quit my job or I dropped out of school three weeks ago and I'm, I'm in Chiang Mai and I, I, I love it. Okay, well, what's your plan? I don't know yet. Okay, we got a big problem here. You got to make money before you go because in six months, those guys are completely out of money and they're begging their parents to buy them a ticket to fly back to the US. Mm. So when you are in that place where you're, you're figuring out like what you want to do to have that two, $3,000 of, of monthly, like predictable, consistent income coming in, um, doing remote work, doing digital nomad work. Um, I, I think one big hurdle for a lot of young people that I've experienced personally is like being able to manage your time effectively and, and really like being able to, yeah, yeah. I mean, structure your time in a way that it's going to be productive for you to learn this new skill and then learn how to make money with it. Uh, so, so can you speak a little bit on uh, sort of, yeah, time management for, for somebody who's just getting started? Sure. So if you're traveling, it's really important. Uh, I do three to six months out of the year. I travel last year. Uh, I spent most of my time in Playa del Carmen in Mexico, which is about 250,000 people huge, awesome digital nomad hub, tons of co-working spaces, fantastic beaches, the whole thing. And 
a lot of digital nomads will end up taking one or two weeks in a particular location, and then they're going to move on. That is not a sustainable model. What we do is we show up, uh, we'll use something like a Selena, which is a, a hotel with integrated co-working inside of it. So we'll end up in a Selena at the very beginning. We'll stay there for a couple of days, kind of just understand the situation and what's going down. But we'll then start looking at different Airbnbs and VRBOs. And we'll talk to those people in person. And to be honest with you, uh, yeah, we just talked about poaching before on two-sided marketplaces. We'll talk to them directly and say, hey, let's do a better deal than what you've got on Airbnb. I can book this thing for the next three months if you want the deal. So then we move into that place. We need to have a minimum of five down, five up internet. So we actually do run a speed test right then and there in the place. And once we've got all that stuff set up, I usually end up having at minimum a two bedroom place because I need a separate place to work. And then on top of that, I also have a co-working space that I usually go to within about a 10 minute walk. So I'll set up there for three months. I do pretty much the same thing I'm doing here in Canada, except I had tacos every night. That was the only difference. <laughs> wow. So how are you able to continue? I mean, do you have like a, a routine or like a structure to your day that, that you follow consistently? I mean, I know no day is like the average day, but is that yeah, something that's so real for you? It's, it's really important to be, I actually use uh, my calendar as my task management system. Okay. So we had this call scheduled mm -hmm. at, you know, 1030. And I showed up to it because um, I'm showing up. I want to make sure that I'm here for this podcast. We both scheduled to be there. I do that for everything else in my life. So after this, I actually have about an hour of email that I've scheduled into my calendar. My assistant actually helps me put all of these things together, but you can do it yourself. And structuring your day by what you're going to do is so important because everyone has to-do lists, but they don't really understand how long those things take. So maybe editing a podcast may take you five minutes. It may take me an hour. It really depends because you have to actually be able to put that down in your calendar. And if you've pushed out of those particular amounts of time, then you need to know for next time how you can restructure it. So I really structure my day that way. And my calendar is my sacred document. Um, I respect my own time just as much as I respect your time. So if I'm meeting with you on a podcast, I'm going to show up. If I'm going to be doing email after this, I spend the same, I put, I deploy the same amount of respect for that as this meeting. Hmm. That's, that's, that's really powerful. I've, I've been doing a lot of sort of similar things myself. I, I keep a lot of things on um, just like paper. I like, I like writing things out um, more than like having things like digitally. Uh, for, for somebody who's just getting started with that, do you think it could be a little bit intimidating? I think some people might hear that and, and think it's yeah, kind of intimidating to just have everything blacked out. Um, they might feel it would be a little bit rigid or, or, or lacking like, like mobility. So like, what do you, what do you think are some good ways to, to sort of ease into that or get started with it? So number one, uh, discipline equals freedom. So if you have your day structured, you are, you'll be very surprised at how much more you can get done in a day. And then you have more time to do other things. So I also really focus on open time. Hmm. Uh, I've learned this actually from one of my coaches, Dan Martell, who's a SaaS coach, and he has everything structured, including his haircuts. So at the beginning of the year, 
he shows up to his barber and he says, uh, here are the eight haircuts that I'm going to have throughout the year. Book them. They're in my schedule. I'll be there. And by structuring all of those pieces of inf- uh, all of those tasks into your day, you really start to understand where your time is and where it's being spent and where it's being deployed either intelligently or unintelligently. Um, I really see, and I don't know if my phone in front of me because I actually drop phones when I'm doing podcasts because it's a distraction, but I see Facebook, Twitter, social media in general, um, you know, a lot of the video games that are currently on mobile phones as the distraction economy. So mm, I want to talk about this. companies that are spending trillions of dollars on figuring out how to distract you from what you want to do. So I want to do this podcast with you right now, but I literally just had a beep that popped, uh, popped up on my computer and I didn't pay attention to it because I don't want to get distracted, but I had that dopamine hit of, oh shit, someone needs to talk to me right now. And maybe I shouldn't be talking to you right now and I should be doing this other thing. This is the distraction economy screwing with you and you need to fight it. It is, I mean, when you look at how these companies try to distract you, even Facebook, as an example, they'll hook people up literally to like different, they'll they'll measure different chemical reactions of dopamine, oxytocin, all that kind of stuff, dependent upon how you respond to different notifications. They've, and you'll probably see this the next time you post something on Facebook, the algorithm knows who will definitely like your post. And Facebook purposely doesn't show that person your post yet. So what they'll do is they'll show your post to people that maybe will like your post and you'll get some likes. That'll hit you with a dopamine hit. And then later on in the afternoon, if you post it in the morning, they'll show it to the people that will definitely like your post and you'll get a second dopamine hit. So whether 40 people like the post in one point or whether 20 people like it in the morning or 20 people like it in the evening, you're, you're going to get the same dopamine hit from either the 40 or the 220s. So you want to be able to basically, they're, they're trying to get you more addicted uh, to this. And I mean, dopamine is the drug that you, uh, that you get when you do heroin and when you do cocaine. So it's really important to protect yourself from these types of, uh, I'll call them kind of digital drugs. Man, that's crazy. So like personal story here really quick. I turned my phone off on Sunday evening and I haven't felt the need to turn it back on yet. Um, I was just going to keep it off. I was going to do like every Monday, just not use my phone, but here we are on Friday and I just haven't, haven't needed it yet. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. And it's so, it's so true. Like the first couple of days, especially I'd catch myself reaching for my pocket, like feeling a buzz on my leg. There's nothing in my pocket. It's like, I am so addicted to not only my phone, but yeah, like social media and, and all of these things that are just engineered to, 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 to flash, to catch your attention, to buzz, to beep, to, to do all these things, to, to keep you like on them and, and just glued to them. So I, I think that's, that's really important that you brought that up. H- have you come across any, any particularly effective strategies for uh, dealing with this, this distraction economy and, and with the sort of negative effects that it brings? Sure, there are some very quantitative methods that you can use uh, that have a lot of data backed up to them. Number one, turn your phone to grayscale. Yep, I do that. So shut off colors. Um, If you have colors on your phone, 
that is um, that's a major way that basically the distraction economy will will get your attention. If you even just study, and I study a lot of online video games, mm. or sorry, uh, like phone video games, because mm. these guys are the masters at this, oh, yeah. right? Your base is under attack, and you're, they're sending you a push notification. Defend your base now, or you know, you're going to lose your 10 pieces of gold or whatever it might be. Um, so they're, they're so good at this and understanding exactly how much to give you to keep you addicted. And if they give you too much, then it won't be a challenge. But if they don't give you enough, then you won't come back. So they're constantly working that line. And fa- Facebook, you know, Twitter, um, Instagram, they all do the same thing as well. So turning your phone to grayscale, uh, I don't have any social media websites on my phone. I only have it on my computer. Uh, that's really important. I use a tool, and I can't remember the name of it right now, but I also lock down all of my work messages Friday at 6 p.m., and they only turn back on uh, Monday at 6 a.m. So like anything that's on, yeah, so anything that I'm going to get like an email from work or anything like that, it's all shut down. There's a big debate right now in the remote workspace because remote workers are kind of always on. They're even yeah. more on than people that work inside of an office. There's the debate of asynchronous versus synchronous communication. So synchronous is like Slack messages constantly popping up at three o'clock in the morning and you having to responding to them versus asynchronous, which is you should have the right to shut all that stuff down and you shouldn't even, your employer or your manager should not even message you outside of some set work hours. So you can spend time going to the gym, getting focused, doing the things that you really need to be able to do to be at a higher level of productivity versus actually getting these notifications at three o'clock in the morning, which completely destroy your life. Um, There's a philosophy called or kind of a methodology called flow state focus, which is the ability to be able to have everything at your disposal to accomplish a task and be excited about accomplishing that task. If you can have those two things in common, then you are going to produce beautiful work. Um, people kind of also call it like getting in the zone when you talk about sports or, or you know, working, any type of like really focused work. So when you get distracted, uh, it's not just the little Facebook notification that takes 30 seconds. On average, if, you're, were, if you were in a state of flow state focus that you can test with a lot of uh, brain testing, it takes on average 15 minutes to get back into flow state focus. So it's not just that little notification. You think to yourself, oh, well, I'm just going to check Instagram for a second. No, it's going to take you 15 minutes because you're going to say, well, I was writing something. What was I writing? Oh, I got to read the top three paragraphs, get the context. What's the other reference here? And it's such a disaster uh, in your own mind to really reshuffle your thoughts and focus on that. There's a a fantastic book by my buddy Cal Newport called Deep Work, which is a great book to be able to uh, check out if you're having troubles with this. Sorry to hop in, but it's time for the Young Smart Money Review of the Day. 
All right, this one comes from Beast Mode 1948, who says, what's better than this? I'll tell you what, not much. See, Apple is the kind of person to lift your energy levels, even just listening about him, let alone listening to him. And it gets better. Not only is he lifting your energy levels with some great business motivation and tips, but he now has handpicked guests on the show that often have tons of experience in the field of entrepreneurship to deliver you even more value. So to the question, music or this, well, driving slash working out slash running, whatevs, I say this 100%. Thank you for everything, Apple. Well, thank you for everything, Beast Mode 1948. I really appreciate um, you sharing that, and, and I'm glad you're getting value out of the show. For the rest of y'all, if you want to get featured on the next episode, all you got to do is head over to Apple Podcasts or CastBox and leave us a review uh, with your honest thoughts, opinions, love it, hate it. I want to hear it, and I'm going to share it on the next episode. Let's get back to the show. Yeah, so just quick personal anecdote here again. Uh, using Grayscale has been super effective for me. I mean, you go on Instagram on Grayscale and it's just so much less like like addicting. Like you go on there and it's black and white and you're like, why am I even here? Like it just Those Instagram you. girls don't look anywhere near as good when they're all <laughs> exactly. in Grayscale. Like when the sun is like gray, you're like, what am I even looking at? So I, I got I to gotta, I gotta agree with you on that. Uh, Liam, it's been a pleasure talking with you, man. I've, I've really gotten a lot of this conversation and I'm sure our listeners did as well. Um, where, where can they go if they want to follow up with you and learn more about, um, you, what you're working on running remote, um, and all that, all that good stuff. Sure. So if you want to check out time doctor, go to timedoctor.com. uh, running remote, go to running And if you really just want to chat with me and hang out, uh, I know that you've been doing some work on this. I think that YouTube is probably one of the best forms of social media uh, that So if you want to chat with me, go to youtube.com slash running remote. Not only do we have a lot of videos about remote work and just what I'm doing, but more importantly, all of our talks are 100% online. So if you can't afford a ticket, you can actually watch all of these talks and see all of these really inspiring people that have built huge remote first businesses. Dang, that's awesome. I didn't even realize you guys had all of them. I, I noticed you guys had some of those up there, but I didn't realize you had the whole, the whole collection, the whole we shebang. The whole collection. That's awesome. So for us, for a committed, for a mission statement, which is empowering people to work wherever they want, whenever they want, uh, you got to give that stuff away for free because that's the only way that you can change minds. Straight up. Well, I'll be sure to link to all of those in the show notes for this episode so our listeners can get access to all of that amazing stuff. Uh, Liam, again, man, it's been it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. Do you have any last uh, parting thoughts, words of wisdom, or anything you want to leave the listeners with here today? Quit school, start to work for a tech startup, uh, work hard, and uh, work for me. <laughs> uh, no, that's it. I mean, just uh, I've been a ton of fun having uh, being on the podcast and uh, the YouTube video. I'm. Uh, I'm stoked about the future of remote work. So if you want to talk to me in a deeper way, again, youtube.com slash running road is the place to be. There we go. That's the recipe for success right there. Liam, thank you so much for your time. It has been wonderful. Thanks for having me. 
Well, there we go. Another episode of Young Smart Money in the Books. Glad you guys were here to spend it with us um, and really soak up as much value as possible from the guest of the day. Now, if you guys haven't already left us a review on iTunes, I know I say it at the end of every single episode, but I really do love those reviews. We've got nearly 200 at this point, which is absolutely amazing. It's crazy to see that we're reaching hundreds of thousands of people with the podcast and that some of you guys have actually chosen to go out of your way, take five seconds and write us a review it means the absolute world to me. And again, if you guys don't know where to find the review section, because a lot of you guys hit me up and you're like, I want to write your review. I, I love Young Smart Money so much, but I don't know where to write the review. You just scroll all the way down. You go to Young Smart Money, you scroll all the way down past all the episodes, past nearly 200 episodes, and you find the write a review section. You leave me all of your thoughts, all of your genuine, heartfelt comments about the show. I read them all, I digest them all. They get me going every single day. So I really appreciate that. And the last thing that I want to say to you guys before we wrap up here is I want you guys to take action, okay? You just spent nearly an hour maybe more than an hour consuming this content and i want you guys to take action okay i really encourage you to while you're going through the show be mindful take notes really soak in the information don't just be there and let the information flow through you like let it soak into who you are and really really find something find one thing that you can take away from this episode that you can go out there and actually apply right now in your day today okay i want you guys to stop listening for po to podcasts for the next little bit here uh, maybe the next 15 minutes and just think about how you can start to take action okay think about one thing that somebody said in this podcast today that you can apply to your own life and go out there and implement it okay and then let me know how it went because guys i see so many people just listening to content soaking up content all day long but they never do anything with it okay so i want you guys i don't want that to be you i want you to be the person who actually takes action so go out there take some action let me know how it goes and i will see you in the next episode